Get ready for the smartest bundle in streaming. Six streaming services for the intellectually curious. Featuring CuriosityStream with the best collection of documentary films and TV shows. Psalm TV and great stories from the world of wine. Taste made for the fun side of food and travel. Topic with the best thrillers and crime stories. And so much more. From nature to history, technology to food, mystery to adventure. Get six streaming services for one low price. And less than $6 a month, it's the best deal in streaming. Learn more and sign up now at smartbundle.com. Welcome to Silicon Valley Trends, a free podcast series published by Silicon Valley Business School. I'm your host, David Smith. At Silicon Valley Business School, we provide affordable, real-world online business education to everyone, everywhere, and guide entrepreneurs towards success with their startup ventures. Today, we're talking about creating a core value proposition, an elevator pitch, and a valuable brand. This draws from material in our marketing course, but I'll be sharing with you some of my personal experiences in this area from my days at Apple, as well as my days as a startup entrepreneur. As Apple World Marketing Manager, I was responsible for Apple's brand in the various global markets. In the 1980s, Apple had a commanding technology lead over Microsoft and everyone else in the PC market with a graphical user interface. The Macintosh operating system was way ahead of MS-DOS. I've heard Steve Jobs say that he left Apple with a 10-year lead over the competition when he stormed out in 1985. That's probably true, but by 1990, Microsoft was catching up with early versions of Windows. I was working out of Apple's European head office in Paris, liaising with marketing managers in each of the European countries, as well as the head office in the United States, with strict guidelines and teams of internal logo police Apple's logo was consistent and well-recognized all over the world. However, in each European country, Apple had a totally different brand image. Apple meant desktop publishing in the United Kingdom. It meant productivity in Sweden, engineering in Germany, and something cool in France. With the release of Windows, Apple was now facing a different form of competition. As marketers, we could no longer simply ridicule DOS to position Macintosh as the clear technology leader. Macintosh and Windows actually looked quite similar on the surface. I thought it was vital for Apple to differentiate itself and redefine its brand positioning in Europe, the US and the rest of the world. And this became a very interesting job for me. The word brand comes from the way ranchers would permanently mark their livestock with a branding iron. A steer from one ranch might stray onto the ranch next door, but it could be recognized because it was branded. So it would always be associated with the rancher who branded it. Branding was intended to be permanent, or at least difficult to change. So how do you change the brand for an established company? After the brand association has been burned into the minds of large numbers of customers, it's not easy, but you do it by defining a unique value proposition and then making sure this message is delivered consistently over a number of years through all forms of communication with customers, press, and anyone else that might influence a customer's perception. Of course, the company has to consistently deliver on the promise by delivering products and services that reinforce the brand. So it's not just an issue of marketing. 
but the brand is usually owned by the marketing department. And this is where rebranding or tweaking initiatives would typically start. Your unique value proposition is a set of core marketing messages that explain what you have to offer and why it's unique. It's about positioning in the market and differentiation. Originally referred to as the unique selling proposition or unique marketing proposition, the concept was used to describe what made some advertising campaigns successful in the 1940s. But it was then adopted by marketing gurus at Harvard and other business schools. Apple's unique ownership of the graphical user interface was now invaded by Microsoft, and we had to do something to differentiate ourselves again. This meant formulating a new unique value proposition and getting consensus from all the various marketing departments across the Apple empire. Agreeing a single unique value proposition for a large company like Apple takes lots of international flights, meetings, video conferences, dinners, lunches, and conference calls to rally consensus around a single core message. It then means brainwashing everyone involved in the company with the message and making sure they deliver it consistently through all forms of communication with customers and anyone else. A product brochure in Finland should deliver the same core message as an infomercial in Canada. Collating input from all the various countries, I managed to get a core value proposition agreed by the head marketing executives in Apple US, Pacific, Europe, Asia, and Middle East. This was a big step. We had our songbook. Now the challenge was to get all the marketing departments and the various advertising and PR agencies to sing from it. The idea was not to stifle creativity. The various countries were free to articulate the message in their own language, using their own advertising agencies, creating ad campaigns and promotions that they thought worked best in their particular markets. I guess it was like telling them that they have to sing from the same songbook using consistent lyrics, but they, they can translate them into their own languages, write their own tunes, perform the songs in reggae, bluegrass, heavy rock, or any style they liked. The key was to present a consistent core marketing message that would help us position and strengthen the Apple brand across the world. Everything was going quite well until Apple Spain came up with a commercial that was completely inconsistent with the messaging we were trying to adopt. As the general manager of Apple Spain wanted to run the ad, the issue was taken out of our marketing hands and it came down to the president of Apple Europe making a decision. Of course, he made the wrong decision, which was not surprising, as Apple made lots of stupid management decisions at this time. The messaging we'd taken such time and energy to formulate and agree was ignored, and the ad was aired on TV in Spain. I realized that without support from the top management, from the CEO down, it was not going to be possible to get everyone in Apple singing from the same songbook. And that's when I left the company, returning to my calling as a tech entrepreneur. As we now all know, it took Steve Jobs coming back and taking personal control of all marketing and advertising for Apple to synchronize its messaging and rejuvenate its brand. The Apple brand went on to be ranked as the most valuable in the world. 
company's brand is core to its existence. It's something that requires keen attention from top management. This holds true for small startups as well as large corporations like Apple. You need to create your own marketing songbook. Then you need to make sure all your staff and representatives are consistently hammering home the same message and they don't go off writing their own songs without approval from the very top. After I left Apple, I created the Xband Expo, a virtual trade show on CD-ROM that was a pioneer in digital marketing. You could walk around a trade show in virtual reality, click on a screen on a booth, watch a product video, and collect sales brochures in your shopping bag. We were the first to fill a CD-ROM with paid advertising producing short 90-second videos for each exhibitor. In producing those ads, we were essentially presenting each exhibitor's unique value proposition. When the internet came along, we built our own web browser, so in the virtual trade show you could draw information from the internet as well as videos and other materials from the CD-ROM. Seeing the opportunity for specialist web browsers, I then created a product called SurfMonkey, which was a kid's browser and online service. SurfMonkey was more than a browser. It offered a complete internet package for kids with a directory of all the best kid-friendly websites, a, talk, a talking cartoon monkey agent, email, cartoon chat rooms, and video conferencing. It opened up the best of the internet to kids while protecting them from inappropriate content and from communication with strangers. SurfMonkey was way ahead of its time in the late 1990s, and it would still be ahead of its time today. SurfMonkey made the internet fun, safe, and easy for kids. We were really creating a new category of product. It's easy to put yourself in the top spot when you create a new class of product or company. But as I learned, many people are only comfortable operating in categories that are already accepted and recognized by their peers. As one of the first internet-enabled applications combining web browsing with a portal and communications capabilities, SurfMonkey would be simply classified as an app today. But back in the late 1990s, software applications were not internet-enabled, and the category of app as we know it today was not a category that had been established. I remember talking to the managing partner at a Silicon Valley venture capital fund. He was very interested in investing, but he just had one problem. He wanted to know if SurfMonkey was a browser or a portal. I tried to explain that it was a browser and a portal. That didn't work for him. He told me that if I could tell him it was a portal, he could invest, because portals were considered really hot by venture investors at that time. He wanted to invest in something labelled a portal. I said, yes, it is a portal, but it's a lot more than that. I tried to explain that you can't elevate the whole internet experience for kids by simply publishing a portal. The portal can link kids to the good stuff, but you need the browser to protect them from the bad stuff. This was all too complicated for him to handle. Of course, I could have just assured him it was a portal and taken his investment but I wasn't particularly interested in having someone with such limited imagination on the team, so I moved on to other investors. This reminds me of the podcast episodes on venture capital and angel investors 
and the words of Ben Horowitz, founder of the leading venture capital fund, Andreessen Horowitz, who said, what do you get when you cross a herd of sheep with a herd of lemmings? The answer, a herd of venture capitalists. Interestingly, Andreessen Horowitz is a hugely successful fund today, and the fund that would invest in a product labeled a portal, but not a product called a browser, is no longer in business. When we were creating the portal for SurfMonkey, we had living, breathing human reviewers selecting websites to populate our directory. The number of websites online today is measured in billions, with a B. Back in 1998, though, it was just a few million, with an M. However, if you try to evaluate the couple of million websites, it's not as easy as you might think. Our website reviewers would get understandably frustrated by the time they had to spend to figure out a company's unique value proposition or even get a clue as to what business the company was in. When you go to a website, it should be immediately obvious what the company does. A good company name, logo and tagline can often tell you all you need to know. However, many companies assume you know what business they're in and don't take the time to tell you. If you try creating a directory of companies by reviewing their websites, don't be surprised if you find yourself repeatedly screaming at your computer screen, just tell me what you do, as you dig around from page to page trying to figure it out. It's not just on your websites that you need to clearly state what business you're in. I was invited by the government of New Zealand to their entrepreneurship week. It was fabulous. They invited a handful of overseas investors and entrepreneurs, treated us like royalty, and over a series of five days, Monday to Friday, sitting alongside a venture capital investor, I listened to 28 one-hour pitches from startup entrepreneurs. The entrepreneurs were really impressive, and they had some great startup ideas. But on many occasions, they failed to get to the point. Listen, when you have 28 one-hour pitches, four flights, three presentations, a couple of receptions in a week, you don't have time to beat about the bush. We managed to get to the point with most pitches after a few minutes of introductions and pleasantries. But one of the entrepreneurs came into the room and spent 45 minutes telling us about his credentials and his former career as an investment banker. As the hour was almost up, and we had another pitch coming in in 15 minutes, I had to step in and tell him that he needs to give us his elevator pitch as we're running out of time. His company and technology seemed to be quite interesting, but we really didn't have any time to properly evaluate it before the meeting was over and we had the next candidates to consider. This is not unusual in Silicon Valley. One super successful venture capital investor on Sand Hill Road would sit listening to entrepreneurs for about 20 minutes. They'd be talking about their technology, coding, their backgrounds, their view on the world. He would get up, give them his business card, and tell them he was going to the bathroom. He asked them to write what it was their company did on the back of the business card. If he thought it was interesting, he would continue with the meeting. If they couldn't fit it on the back of his card, or if it was not interesting enough for him, the meeting was over. The positioning had to be clear, interesting, and sufficiently concise to put it onto the back of a business card. 
The company's basic positioning needs to be sufficiently short, sweet and descriptive to fit on a card. But beyond that, your core messaging could be expanded to fit onto a single page of paper. I used to condense the top level messages into a one page document that positively positions the company and the products and clearly differentiates them from the competition. Then I'd pin this page above my desk and continually refer to it when I was talking to journalists on the phone, selling to customers or writing marketing materials. These days, however, I just put all the core messaging on the company's website homepage. And I simply point to that when I need to articulate a marketing pitch or brainwash new staff. What's covered in a unique marketing proposition differs from company to company and industry to industry. It's all about what you do and what makes you different and why that's important for your customers. There's no simple formula or checkbox of topics that need to be covered. Let me use my latest startup, Silicon Valley High School, as an example. As you may have noticed, the name itself is quite descriptive, and this has proved very useful for this particular business. To distinguish, we have Silicon Valley Business School and Silicon Valley High School. They're two separate businesses. So the Silicon Valley High School logo is big and bold at the top of the page. We trademark the name then had a nice logo and color scheme designed. So right there, in the name, you know it's a high school. You don't have to go looking around to figure it out. Actually, I just saw an article about what makes a good logo. Scientists looked at more than 500 logos and drew some interesting conclusions. One was that the logo should tell you about what the company does. They explained that the Burger King logo was more effective than the McDonald's logo because Burger King had a picture of a burger and the name Burger prominently displayed in the logo. Of course, we've all learned to associate McDonald's and the Golden Arches with burgers and fast food. But this association has taken decades and billions of dollars in advertising. New companies just getting established don't have billions of dollars and decades to build a brand. So they have to adopt the Burger King approach and design company names and logos that help the customer figure out what business they're in. As I look at our Silicon Valley High School website, I see two large buttons. One says online high school diploma and the other says supplemental courses. This essentially describes the products we offer. There's a high school aged girl holding a laptop and the screen says $95 self-paced five credit course. On the as the competitors are around the $300 mark, our pricing is unique. And this is a key differentiator for us at Silicon Valley High School. The headline on the page says, video-based, self-paced, teacher-supported online high school education. Subheadings read, all online, all the time. We slash the cost of private high school education. Full-time diploma granting accredited high school. Supplemental online courses for students wanting to catch up or jump ahead. And open to everyone, everywhere, all the time. If you click on the About Us page, you'll see that the company's mission is prominently displayed. 
to provide quality, personalized, affordable, and ever-improving educational paths for all students to pursue their ambitions. Of course, you can go in and read the text and watch the videos, but you probably already know a lot about what Silicon Valley High School is about within a fraction of a second of opening the home page. As you might have guessed, we consistently hammer the core messages home throughout the website and through all our marketing and sales materials. If you read the page on Summer School, you'll see that it's built around the message of video-based, self-paced, teacher-supported online high school education, and so is the NCAA page for student-athletes. Then our list of courses, our product offering page is prominently available, and you can see that English, Math, History, Biology, and other courses are approved by the University of California, the NCAA, and they are all available at $95 each. The messaging from the website is essentially repurposed into our elevator pitch. Just in case I find myself in an elevator with a key prospective customer and she asks me what we do and I have to get the message across before the door opens on the next floor and she gets out. Your elevator pitch should be short and snappy. It needs to explain what you do, why it matters and why you're better. Memorizing your elevator pitch is actually very useful as you'll find there are lots of opportunities to deliver it. When someone asks what your company does, the pitch should just roll off your tongue without a second thought. Taking the core messages from our SVHS website as an example, my elevator pitch would sound something like this. Silicon Valley High School is an accredited online school providing a complete curriculum of affordable supplemental courses to students attending other schools, as well as a diploma program for our full-time students. Our courses are video-based, self-paced and teacher-supported. We're growing at a tremendous rate because teenagers prefer to watch a video than read a textbook and like to study on their own schedule. I mentioned the growth because, as we discussed in another podcast, momentum is critical for success. It really grabs attention. So when you have momentum, like a huge growth in customer uptake, as we do with the high school, I say you make it a part of your pitch. You can tweak your pitch depending on who you're pitching it to. For example, if you're talking to an investor, it would be a good idea to tell them what stage your company's at. You can say something like, we're a seed stage company currently raising our Series A round of financing. Of course, the elevator pitch and messaging will be important components of your business plan and your pitch for investors. But we'll deal with that in another podcast episode, actually several episodes. So, whether you want to sell to customers, raise funds for investors, or simply tell your grandmother what it is you do, you need to formulate your unique value proposition, define your core messaging, and memorize your elevator pitch. It's important to invest the time and get this right, as changing it later on will be difficult and costly. The process should be driven from the top and starts with your company name and logo. Your positioning must deliver messages that appeal to your customer base and needs to be consistent across your website, social media, videos and all areas of communication. You can create a brand that's valuable and will help you immeasurably if you can get it right. Companies that invest in their brands are generally more successful. 
Apple is able to sell its products at a huge premium over its competition, and that's mostly due to the strength of the Apple brand. You might not be building a global brand like Apple, but the same holds true for companies of all sizes in all industries. Carefully craft your unique value proposition and core marketing messaging, then make sure all your team is singing from the same songbook. After you've hammered the core messaging home for several years, you could discover that you have a recognized brand that's grown into a competitive weapon. For more information on defining your core messaging, you might want to check out the Creating and Presenting the Marketing Message section of the marketing course. You're welcome to join me in my Silicon Valley Business School chat room where I can answer your questions. You'll see that we have other experts on startups, marketing and other topics on the svbs.co site. You can easily book a one-to-one -one video conference if you have any specific questions. I hope you'll join us for future podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe so you get new episodes as and when they're released. And please rate us in your podcast player, as this will help us get the word out to entrepreneurs and the other people we're trying to help with this podcast series. That's it for today. Hope you tune in to the next Silicon Valley Trends, the podcast for innovators and entrepreneurs. At One Day University, we feature hundreds of top-rated professors from Stanford, Harvard, Michigan, Texas, UCLA, and other schools across the world to explore history, music, politics, art, science, and much more. Every Wednesday, our weekly scholar newsletter includes five fascinating short video clips of our most notable professors discussing a brand new topic, plus special reports and topical debates as well. Sign up for free at OneDayU.com. That's O-N-E-D-A-Y-U.com.